you have your Bibles, you can turn in them to uh, Luke chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, the, the scriptures we're going to be looking at are in the bulletin on the inside cover, some of the scriptures. Um, there's also a place there to take notes. We're going to be looking, as we start, at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So friends, listen. This is God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. This is God's word. We're going to see today how Christmas makes us grow in community. Okay? The event of Christmas makes us into people who grow together in community. Um, we've seen this already and how it works out in the care team. Uh, we've seen that, and, and what's amazing is if you ask Karen or anybody, Mary and anybody on the care team, they would tell you that the growth is in both directions, right? The folks who come for help end up not just getting a hand out, but they get a hand up and they grow. The folks who are the mentors, they grow, not only from the training, but in the act of giving care. And so we've seen that already, the, 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 the growth that happens in community. Um, and I want to start off my sermon by sharing with you a video testimony. We have another testimony illustrating another one of our values, that as a church, one of the things that we prize most highly is the fact that we grow in community. And so I want to share uh, a video testimony of Denise Hernandez and how her life has been changed by her life group. We're going to do that now. Before Harbor, I'd have to say I've always, I always knew that Jesus was there, always in my life. But um, there were times that I didn't pray. There were times that I maybe even got depressed and let things get to me and felt alone. I came to Harbor um, with someone that's already a member of the church, and she's a friend of mine, and I really, really enjoyed the, my very first visit. I enjoy uh, Pastor Stephen's preachings, and uh, there's a lot of reasons after I came to the church after a year that I wanted to join, and a lot of things that, that touched me, and I really had a really, a real thought process in how I was going to select some place to go. One thing I wanted was a church that worked within the community. That was a real important piece to me because I've been to churches that collect money and don't really even spend it on the parishioners. Pastor Stephen's sermons um, are really, really fun to listen to and I've learned a great deal from them. He is passionate. He makes you passionate about what he's talking about. Um, I love the fact that he uses examples from his family and that even his kids are involved. 
um, in some of his sermons and things that they brought up that kind of brought uh, light to him and and then he passes that light on to us and it's just great. I love that. I also love my life group. My life group changed everything for me in the church. It, it gave me an area where I felt very secure, very supported, and within that realm it makes it really easy to talk about very personal things and to be able to bring up something that's personal as an example and have the group help you in that scenario, referring back to scriptures, referring back to different uh, parts of the Bible, even if it's, you know, in the, the Old Testament. So within that security, I was able to grow a whole bunch and I felt valuable in the church, but I felt even more valuable in my group. We discuss um, the readings for that week and their, uh, and their relevance to what uh, Pastor Stephen uses um, in, in his uh, sermon. So that's really helped me in understanding. I've, I've read the Bible before and I didn't realize I didn't understand it. My life group is really supportive. If there's, I never feel bad if there's something that I don't understand to say, what does this mean? Life group, to me, is, is the piece that holds everything together. It's, it's not on a Sunday. It's, for us, it's in the middle of the week on Wednesday. Um, if I have some questions or I've thought about the sermon and there's something else that I'm kind of wondering about, I write it down I bring it up in, in, um, in life group. We have a snack beforehand and some socializing and stuff. And then we kind of get down to the nitty-gritty, but our group is very tight. Um, we have, we're all very supportive of each other. One of the changes that I, I find that I have now is um, I got a schedule in my morning. I read in the mornings. Uh, that's how I start my day. I feel like I have, like I'm closer to him. Um, I feel like he's always there and always in me. I, I just look at everything differently. It's just, it's changed everything in the way I look at, at things. So um, people, I'm really, you know, now I think about things before. I used to get upset if, if somebody stole the parking spot that I was waiting for. And now I just bless them and I go on my way. It, it's the little things just aren't any big deal anymore. You know, they're, it's not significant. Um, he's significant. Yeah, so these are amazing stories. Um, Denise's life has been changed by her life group, and, and I hope you, you caught that like, church Sunday is good, but life group is even better. Right in our life groups, in our small groups, in community, like this is where the church becomes close enough to really care. Um, and so, um, and I think that like our life groups are probably some of the best expression of what Christmas shows us about community. Okay, and so um, what do I mean by that? Well, here's here's kind of the point that we want to get at today. This is the main thing that I want you to take away with is that Jesus came at Christmas to form his followers into a family. 
Okay? Lots of Fs there. There was a lot of things Jesus came to do, and this is one of them. He came to form his followers into a family. That's what Christmas, that's one of the main themes of Christmas, and it's, I think, the theme of the Bethlehem candle. Um, in the weeks past, we saw how Christmas makes us gospel-centered. Right? You remember Shane's testimony, like realizing the forgiveness of God and the unbelievable grace of his love. Um, Christmas also, we saw last week, that Christmas makes us live on mission. In Jorge's testimony, what we experience, we want to share with others. Um, what we're doing is we're seeing how Christmas makes us the kind of people and the kind of church that we want to be. Right? Christmas really highlights the five values of our church. And, uh, and this series is designed to try to give you a clearer picture of what these values look like in life. You know, what it looks like for us to be a blessing to others. And so today, the Sunday that we light the Bethlehem candle, I want to zoom in on the city of Bethlehem. Okay, Bethlehem teaches us about the remarkable community that gathered there. And if we see this community and understand what it was, it's going to inspire us to grow in community. Okay? What is most remarkable about the people who gather in Bethlehem is that they are nothing alike. Okay? The people that gather in Bethlehem are nothing alike. What's funny about this is that when you look at it every week, right, you see the nativity scene and you think, oh, all these people are supposed to go together, right? Because you set them all up, and if you're really biblically accurate, you really, you know, you set the wise men up, you know, farther away because they don't get to Jesus. You know, they don't get there on that night. They actually show up. They say it could have been even two years later. Um, but, uh, but they all go together, right? Because you set them all up, and they're all part of the set that comes out of the box. Well, no, they're not. They're not. And so let me just kind of talk you through um, some of the characters here. We have Mary and Joseph, okay? Mary and Joseph, they were peasants, okay? We know this because when it came time for them to make the sacrifice for baby Jesus after he was born, they have to offer a sacrifice that's allowed for people who can't afford to offer God um, a, a ram, I think it's a lamb that they're supposed to offer. But they can't do that. In the book of Leviticus, it says that if you can't afford this, then you can offer a pigeon. And that's what they do. And so we see that Mary and Joseph, they're peasants. They were poor, unknown to the rest of the world. Um, and so, but on the other hand, we have the Magi, right? The Magi, they were royal advisors. Okay, they were wealthy aristocrats. And the book of Daniel mentions the Magi several times. We're actually going to zoom in on the Magi next week. So if you've ever wondered who the Magi were, come next week, and we're going to dig in and see how the Magi impact what you do for a living. So that's just a tease. So you got the, the peasants, you got the, the royal advisors. Uh, Mary and Joseph were also Israelites, right? They were members of God's chosen nation, and yet the Magi, they were foreigners, right? They were not Jewish. They were from hundreds of miles away. And then we have the angel. Who's there? The angels that showed up. They were heavenly messengers sent by God to serve God's people. And then the shepherds, in contrast to the angels, the shepherds were like people of the earth. And so what we see here in this community is we see rich and poor. We see upper and lower. We see heavenly and earthly, insiders and outsiders, Jewish and non-Jewish. All of these people gathered at Christmas time in Bethlehem. I mean, can you imagine a more diverse group of people? Can you imagine a group like this coming together, what it would look like um, to have 
folks that were either homeless or barely not homeless, with folks who live in the high-rises of downtown San Diego. Um, could you imagine folks who were born and raised in San Diego, along with people from other countries who barely speak the language? Could you imagine what a, what a gathering like that would look like? Um, and yet, and yet, as God gathered all of them together in Bethlehem, they had one thing in common. Okay, there was one thing and one thing only that united them. So what joins them is worship. Worship is the one thing that they all had in common. They all responded to the birth of Jesus with worship. The angels glorified God. We saw that last week. The shepherds praised God. The magi, when they show up, they worshiped. Mary and Joseph meditated and saw how God's promises were coming true. And so Bethlehem gives us this snapshot of God's family. It's the community of worshipers that ultimately will come from every country, every class of people, every race, and every background. This is what God has, like this is what God was doing at Christmas. He was gathering people together in community. He was crossing borders. He was joining people that otherwise would have no reason to be together. But he was bringing them together in a family because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to form his followers into a family. And when we step back a little bit and, and realize that that's one of the things that Jesus is doing, right, even though he's laying in the manger, right, God in flesh is bringing this group of people together. Um, we see, if we step back, that this is actually what God has been doing throughout all of history. Okay, this is what God has been doing forever. And if we look at, you know, if you want to summarize the whole Bible, you can do it in four words, right? We've talked about this a little bit before. What are the four words that summarize the whole Bible? What's the first one? Creation. Chapter two is the fall. Chapter three, redemption. How come it's only my family that's like saying <laughs> Creation, fall, redemption, and then what's the fourth chapter? Restoration. Restoration. So we're going to walk through really quickly and watch how Christmas is bringing into focus something that God has been working on since, since the world began. Okay, so first, creation. Creation. God, remember, God created us for community. Okay, even before the fall into sin, God made it really clear the one thing that wasn't good was that the man was alone. Right? God made us for community. He created us for a relationship with him and also with each other. There are aspects of who you are that will not come out unless you are with other people. Okay, C.S. Lewis said this, I think, about J.R.R. Tolkien. Like, there was a band of sort of four guys that got together and, and talked, and they had a fellowship together that was amazing. And C.S. Lewis said that one of the saddest things about losing J.R.R. Tolkien was that he wasn't going to get to see from one of their, the third friend, stuff that comes out only when Tolkien was around. Right? There are things about you that bring out things in other people that don't come out if you're not around. Right? We are made for community. And even God is a God of community. 
right? In a mystery that we can't fully comprehend, the one true God has revealed himself in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see sort of glimpses where the curtain gets peeled back a little bit, and you see this relationship that the Father and the Son had from all eternity, where they were expressing love to each other, and they are serving each other in this amazing way. Um, And so at the heart of the universe, at the very core of the Creator himself, is love. Right? It's not bare power, <clears throat> but it's community, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so for us, it makes sense because we are made in his image. Right? The Bible says at creation, it says male and female, he made them. Right? He made us to be in community, and we manifest more of God's fullness in the unity that's reflected in the diversity of community. Right? We manifest more of God's fullness in the unity that's reflected in the diversity of community. And so this is part of the fullest and blessed life that God created us for. When we see that, right, when you understand chapter one when it comes to community, man, it really helps us understand the tragedy of the fall. Right, when we talk about the fall, like it's this glorious harmony that the fall destroys. And so it's not just you arguing with a spouse or arguing with someone you're dating. Right? It's not just you saying something bad behind somebody else's back at work. But what you're doing is you are vandalizing the good community that God created the world to live in. So God's not a killjoy. He doesn't make laws to promote community so that he can be this mean guy that gets us in trouble. No, no, all of God's laws are designed so that we would experience this amazing community that he's created us for. And yet the fall destroys it all. Adam and Eve had communion with God before they fell. But in the fall, they turned away from him by eating the forbidden fruit. They turned away from each other. They turned on each other, actually. And we see that as part of the judgment that came, they lost communion with God and their own relationships were frustrated with conflict and suffering. And if you trace through, it seems like through the rest of the Bible, human history becomes in some veins the tragedy of human conflict and bitterness. Right? The destruction of community. And it, I mean, this is part of the baton that's been handed to us that we all grow up in, that we all experience every day. I mean, today, people are divided politically, racially, Theologically, Like in every way you could imagine, there's people that don't just disagree, because disagreeing can be a really wonderful thing that brings out more of the fullness of the truth. But for us, we're divided in hostile ways. And we're taught that if people don't agree with us, man, we need to vilify them so that they'd be removed from the earth. Right? That their position would be ostracized and made fun of so that nobody would take anything that they say seriously. And this happens all over the place in politics. This happens all over the place even in, um, I mean, in families too where opinions are, are, are treated this way. I mean, you think about the stuff going on in Ferguson and, I mean, just reading the responses to it are, can be as bad as what happened, right? Where anybody wants to take one side and say they are completely and totally evil and it's happening on both sides, right? And, I mean, again, this is the kind of thing that, that alienates people 
And so instead of crossing over boundaries, instead of creating community, instead of living in community, we end up hiding inside our boundaries. You know, the things that might give us an ability to make a unique contribution to the conversation, we end up turning those things into walls. And we only let people that agree with our unique contributions in past those walls. And so we end up with community that really loves the stuff that we love, but we have no voice to the outside world. And we can't learn either. And so there are rotten things that we do because of the effects of the fall and our living in a fallen world. Like there's sins that we commit. Um, there are, there's harm that we do to others and the things that we say and the things that we do. Um, and yet at the same time, like those things don't just hurt others, but they actually hurt us because they drive us to a place where we are isolated or we're not willing to share or to listen. Um, and those things are destructive and those things destroy both community and us. And this, friends, like, this is why we have Christmas. Okay, I want you to know that the reason that we have Christmas is because God cares so much about our world and about you in the sphere of community that he wanted, he, he wanted not just to tell us anymore. It's like he spent a few thousand years telling us how to get it right. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. No matter how much he, he told and told and told, he said, okay, I'm going to come and I'm going to show you. And this is what redemption is. This is chapter 3 of the Bible. And this is really, this begins with Christmas. I mean, it begins in the Old Testament too. But the, the, the point is that when Jesus comes, he came. I mean, and who knows, in some ways, it could be too that he came because he didn't want to just live out, but he wanted to live in the conflict. He didn't just want to fix something, but he actually came to experience for himself the conflict that we deal with, the struggles that we deal with in relationship, even the isolation. God wanted to come and to renew the world, and so Jesus enters into life, and we see that even at his birth, right now we're back to where we started, even at his birth we see that the followers are being formed into a family, rich poor, insiders, outsiders, right? Upper, lower, heavenly and earthly, like it's coming together. Like Christmas is this amazing sort of like, it's sort of the glorious, um, you know, when they used to show like movies where we watch Ben-Hur, there's this, um, what do you call the orchestral playing before the movie starts? The overture, yes. It's like this overture and you see this and there's great glory and then it sort of fades off and then the story begins. That's what Christmas is. And in the overture, we see that Jesus is giving us a picture, a glimpse of the kind of community that we all desperately need and that he wants to bring to us. And so, and then you see this in his life, right? Even in his own ministry, he created community. He created this whole new way of being Jewish that was really the original way of being Jewish, but it had been corrupted. And he gathers to himself the 12, right? He takes the 12, and, it, and, and have, you, have you read about the 12? Have you seen the group of folks that he gathered together? He didn't say, all right, I want a right-wing tea party. You've got to agree on 24 different things. I want liberal, left-leaning, kind of moderate, but no, no, no. Jesus picked the 12 from the, from the gamut. 
right? On the one hand, you have one guy called Simon the Zealot. Okay, Simon the Zealot. You know what a zealot was? A zealot was someone who was so angry with the government that he was ready to take up arms and to go to war. Okay? So, we hate the government. Simon the Zealot. Okay? But then Jesus also picked... You know, like, so some of you who hate the government today, you're like, yeah, yeah, go Jesus, go Jesus. Well, then Jesus also picked, so before you get all high and mighty, um, Jesus also picked Matthew the tax collector. Matthew the tax collector. You talk about a guy who wasn't against the government, but had completely thrown his lot in with the government. Right? To be a tax collector back then, basically you sold Israel out. You sold down it for Rome. And the Roman oppression was what made you wealthy. And so you've got Simon over here. Jesus keeps telling him, put away your sword, put away your sword, put away your sword. And then you've got Matthew over here, where Jesus is saying, hey, come on. Like, we've got to be able to speak to the injustices of our day. Right? This is the community that Jesus brought together. And I think he's showing us that the road to happiness and even the road for us to holiness is in community. We can't get there without it. We can't get there without it. But Jesus did more than just set an example for us, right? I mean, when Jesus comes to redeem us, he doesn't just tell us how we can, okay, from here on, you can, let, let, let's do this right. No, no, Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. It was told to Joseph, you'll name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so Jesus, setting an example, was the beginning. He needed to actually die for our sins. Like your sins and mine, they're not just things that God can kind of sweep under the rug. Someone has to pay for them. And when it comes to, I mean, this is what forgiveness is, right? Forgiveness is God saying, look, you don't have to make up for this. You don't have to pay for it. I'm going to pay the price for your sins. And so this community that Jesus came was more than just an example uh, that, that Jesus created. Uh, but he came not just because we needed an example, but because we needed forgiveness. And so Jesus is proof that God took the initiative to reestablish community with us. And this is what we need, okay? Into your life right now, you need God to reach in and reestablish connection. Okay, when we become Christians, there is a point where we make a decision for Jesus. We make a decision that Jesus is Lord and we're going to follow him. We're going to confess our sins and we're going to follow him. But every single time we do that, we're doing it in response to what God has already done. What God is already offering to us. And so God is the one who initiates to reestablish community with us. God is the one who comes into our lives and says, you're not as good as you think you are. But cheer up, Jesus died for your sins. Right? It's okay because I am gracious. And actually, I want to help you more deeply than you even want to help yourself. Because all of us, we tend to want to just say, okay, look, can we just put this behind us and move on? Jesus says, well, if you just put this behind you and try to move on, you're never ever going to leave this stuff. Instead, what forgiveness does, what redemption does, what happens when I pay the price for your sins is I break the chains of your sin on you. And I set you free. 
And so we need God to come into our lives and speak truth to us. And Jesus doesn't just want us to do that with him. He wants us to do that with other people. Jesus wants us to live with a humility and a teachability right? that will enable us to learn from community. And this, I mean, this is where we get to restoration. We get to restoration. Um, and this is us now living in the reality of being reunited to God. <clears throat> this is where we get to a place where we now actually will pursue with gusto a community that will speak truth into our lives. Okay, so question, question. Do you have anyone in your life that you are serving and it's difficult to serve them? Okay, because there are some people in my life, and it really is a joy. It's not hard to serve them. Like, I don't know why, but wherever they're around, like, I just want to help them. I want to I serve them. I want to do whatever I can for them. And then there are people that are more challenging. There are people that, like, in my heart, sometimes in my eyes, you know, I'm rolling my eyes going, oh, man, like, do I really have to do this again? Just being honest. Um... When I serve those people that are hard to serve, or when I serve that person, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, right? When I do that, like, I'm demonstrating that I'm being restored. Okay? When you have people in your life that you are serving and it's hard to serve, that's Christmas coming true in your life. If you don't have anybody in your life that's a burden to you, you might be doing it wrong. Because this is what we do, right? I mean, sort of back, jumping back up into the fall, we tend to sort of want people that agree with us, but then we'll also sort of isolate ourselves. And we're given so many options today, friends. Um, and if you completely get frustrated with human interaction, you can go online, right? And with social media, you can be whoever you want. You can create a whole other person. And you can be whatever you want and act how, whoever you want. And if anybody makes you angry, you can just cut light. You know, you know, I unfriended you. Sorry, you're out. <laughs> this is what we do, right? And now there's some people who are flesh and blood, like relatives or friends, and we wish we could unfriend them, but we can't, right? with the people that you feel that way about. Like, will you please come to Bethlehem? Will you please come to Bethlehem and realize that the differences, realize that the burden, realize that the challenge is part of the glory of what Jesus came for. I mean, we just need to sit with that. Difficult relationships don't mean you're doing it wrong. Difficult relationships could mean that you're in Bethlehem and it's Christmas. I think we need to have people that we're sacrificing for, that it's really sacrifice. I think we need to have people in our lives who say things that 
that get in our kitchen? Like, do you have anybody in your life who can speak the truth to you? Who can tell you things that you might not want to hear, but you need to hear? Because if you don't, then you're not experiencing the kind of community that God says it's not good for you to be alone. We need relationships that will both encourage and challenge. Right? The gospel gives us the freedom to be challenged. Because you know what? Like, if someone has something negative to say to us, we can take it because God loves us. Because our deepest needs have been met. Our longest future has been established. Right? There are things that no one can take away from us. And so you and I, Together, we can follow Jesus into the family. And we can say, yes, I do need to grow. Thank you for telling me this. We read in Proverbs this last week in CBR, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Do you have any wounding friends in your life? I think Sundays give you a taste of that. I think our life groups give you a bigger taste of that. And this is what our life groups are for. It's so that we can have the kind of relationships where these conversations and these friendships can happen. It's what we want everyone to be in a life group. Um, I think it's when we, uh, to me, just thinking that, man, in that moment when it's hard, in that moment where I've got to sacrifice, in that moment where I've got to go the extra mile, or I've got to make the phone call, or I've got to listen, um, in that moment, The frustration in my heart gets matched with, wait a second, like this is restoration. Like this is the glory of Christmas. Like this is, like I'm in Bethlehem. I'm in Bethlehem. One of the things that, um, that I think can really help us um, is, uh, is just to, to, to say yes to deeper community to just lean into more relationships. It doesn't mean that you have to know everybody, right? But you just got but you got to know somebody. Someone and, and more importantly, someone's got to know you. Right? And so um, I was imagining that one of the cool things that um, that might have happened in in Bethlehem is that they might have asked each other, "So, what brings you here?" You know, Mary and Joseph, they were kind of the center point with Jesus. You know, maybe they would have asked, we could ask Mary, Mary, what brings you here to Bethlehem? She says, well, I was brought here because the Roman emperor is oppressing our people, and he's forced us to be here in this incredibly dangerous journey. But in the process of me having to do things I didn't want to do, I've seen God provide for my needs in a way that I didn't know was possible. So I'm in Bethlehem as a testimony to what God has done for me. Joseph, why are you here? What, or what brings you here might be a better way to ask it because it's less threatening. You know, why are you here is kind of put you on the defensive. Um, Joseph would say, well, it's, it's my trust in the gospel. That's what's brought me here. God somehow chose me to be the stepdad of his own son. And I just want to do my best. Like, I feel unworthy, but here I am, and I'm going to do my best. 
If you ask the angels, angels, what brings you here to Bethlehem? Well, we've been watching for thousands of years to see how God would actually rescue people, and tonight it begins. And we wanted a front row seat. Yes, the shepherds, what brings you here? We heard this amazing news that the king was born, this king that we've longed for, who's going to lead us and bring God's kingdom to earth. We heard it from the angels, and so we came to see if it was so. Friends, what brings you here today? What brings you here? I want you to, to think about the answer to that question. But more importantly, I want you to look around the room and I want you to see the other people who have come. And I want you to find out, maybe even more than what brings you here, is I want you to find out what brings everyone else here. I think that's part of the doorway into community. Just asking someone, so what brings you here? Find out where they are in their spiritual journey. And as you listen, you can share where you are. And in this way, we will be a closer-knit family. Join a life group. Find out what community is that can transform your life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you don't just save us as individuals, but you save us into community. And we confess that there are big parts of us that just want nothing to do with other people. There are things that we don't want to have to talk about. There are things that we want to hide from the world, things that we are ashamed of, or things that, and, and Jesus, it's not healthy for us to isolate. Thank you for your gospel promise, for the salvation and your death and resurrection that make it, that make it okay for us to share because we've been forgiven. Let us live in that forgiven state so that we can be open. Jesus, it feels like at that point, the things that we are ashamed of become ways that we can help and connect with others. And so we pray that you would help us to grow together in community. And we pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.